When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I knew he was going to follow me to the elevator again, so I closed the door behind me once he went inside and ran down the stairwell as fast as I could. My entire life, I've been wondering what would have happened to me if I had gone on the motorbike. But now I know with a reasonable certainty what his intentions were. In the morning before school started, he invited a few people to his locker to see the fully loaded weapon. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. As always, we're bringing the heat with four true tales of horror, including a new storyteller. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Boyfriend Sweaters, and we feel the fear of being locked in a room with an unsettling man. Bringing this experience to life is Rhiannon Mauschel. When I was 18, I worked at my college's residence building at the front desk, and I think I almost got assaulted. Or murdered. You be the judge. During the summer, the building operated as a hotel, so two and a half floors were hotel rooms, and half of the third floor were student rooms. The whole building operated with a hotel swipe key system that was pretty outdated, and all the doors were powered by four AA batteries. If the batteries died, there was a decently lengthy process to replace them and reprogram the door. A dark-haired guy came to the front desk from inside the building while I was working an overnight shift at around 1 or 2 a.m. and said he left his keycard in his room. I made him a new one and made my first error of the night. Hotel guests could have as many room keys remade as they wanted, hypothetically. Students, however, were supposed to be given a temporary keycard and charged $2 to be returned when theirs is located. I gave him a new key for his room and asked if he was a student or a hotel guest, and he replied, student. At this point, I should have checked our system to charge his account, but I was caught up doing administrative duties and forgot. I used to trust people way too easily at this job, but quickly learned not to. Later on in the night, maybe around 3 or 4 a.m., he came to the desk again and said he couldn't get into his room. I asked if he just forgot his key again, and he said no, the door wasn't working. I asked if the light was coming on when he swiped his card, and he said no, so I figured the batteries were dead. I told him I'd have to change the batteries, and I went up to his room with him. He asked me for my name, and I told him. He didn't tell me his. 
I opened the room door manually with the master key and told him I'd have to prop it open while I worked on the back panel to replace the batteries. He said, no, it's okay, I'll close it, and closed and deadbolted the door locked. Really fucking weird. But I tried not to think about it. I had changed the batteries on plenty of other doors by this point, and some students were iffy about having their doors propped open for their room to be on display for anyone walking by. He also had a really thick accent, and I thought he might be an international student since we have a lot of students from other countries where English was not their first language. I gave him the benefit of the doubt and thought maybe it was also just a language barrier issue. At this point, though, I really felt like something was wrong, but I tried to ignore it so I didn't freak him out. While I was trying to focus on fixing the door as quickly as possible, he kept trying to entice me to go further into the room, saying his bed was broken and he needed me to look at it, there was something underneath it that needed to be fixed, etc. He held out a little gold house key and said, I have a key, go get it, and threw it under the bed. He said there was a leak under the fridge. He just kept trying to get me down on the ground, throwing random problems at me. Obviously, I told him no. I'd send maintenance up in the morning to have a look at it if anything was broken. I had my back to him and he asked me if I would take off my glasses. I said, no, I need them to see. His tone of voice changed and in the most steady, chilling manner, he said, Ella, it's okay, you can take them off. And from behind me, he reached around and tried to take off my glasses. I swatted his hand away and trying to retain composure, said, no thanks, I need to keep them on. Even though he was creeping me the fuck out, I didn't want to be rude to him. I didn't want to get in trouble if he complained about me or risk upsetting him and having him yell at me. I got up to grab something from the door repair kit and undid the door deadbolt and opened it up in the process. He jumped toward the door to close it again and told me to keep it closed. I told him no, I had to open it to start reprogramming it from the front. While I held the door open with my foot and grabbed something from the door repair kit, he started playing with the little wispy hairs at the top of my forehead and trying to touch my shoulder. I swatted him away again and asked him not to touch me and focused on getting the fuck out of there. He once again tried getting me to follow him into the bedroom, saying the bed was broken, and I went as far as the doorframe to see if I could spot any actual problem with his bed. This is when I realized that he had nothing in his room. No dishes in the kitchen, no shower curtain in the bathroom, no sheets on the bed, nothing. This wasn't his room. My brain once again went back to the international student theory, thinking he had just arrived today and hadn't gotten a chance to buy anything yet. But in the pit of my stomach, I knew something was wrong. I fiddled around with the door for a few more seconds before announcing that it was fixed and quickly gathered the door kit and left. Before I had reached the elevator, he came back out without his shoes on to follow me. He tried to get back in to get his shoes and called out, Ella, the door isn't fixed. You need to come back. I went back and opened the door manually and told him if the door was broken, I'd have to send up maintenance to fix it in the morning. I knew he was going to follow me to the elevator again. So I closed the door behind me once he went inside and ran down the stairwell as fast as I could. When I got to the front desk, I checked the computer and saw that the room he was in was supposed to be empty. It wasn't a student room or a hotel room. I locked myself in our back office and called campus security. He came down a few minutes later and went behind the desk. I yelled at him to get on the other side and wait, now that I knew he wasn't a resident. He tore the corner off a slip of paper I had sitting on the desk and drew a flower on it, then put it back on the top of my papers. 
When security arrived, he ran back up to the empty room and tried convincing them he lived there so he wouldn't have to leave. He kept showing them his key, which had decided to work on the door again somehow. They escorted him back downstairs and came to ask me if he really did live there. Obviously, he fucking didn't. That's why I called you guys crying and terrified. He kept interjecting to argue that he did live there, but couldn't even recall his room number when asked. Security asked him for his student card and he couldn't produce it, so they told him he would have to leave if he couldn't prove he lived there. While they were grabbing his information, I listened from the office and could immediately tell he was lying. The phone number he gave was just a bunch of random numbers. The name he gave was prefixed by, um, as if he was trying to think of a name. When they asked for his address, he just said, across the street. One security guard asked if he lived in the apartments across the street, and he said yes, but he couldn't tell them what the building number was. He said his apartment number was 1200, but I moved into that building a few months later and apartment 1200 doesn't exist. When security asked why he was sneaking into a room, he just kept up the ums and uhs and saying he didn't know. They'd ask, were you trying to see a friend? Do you know anybody who lives here? Were you here to hurt somebody? And he kept fidgeting and saying, I don't know, no reason, I was just here. At one point, he tried to tell them he was my friend, at which point I poked my head out of the office to say that I literally had never seen him before that night. He left, we didn't call the police because he didn't actually do anything, but it was still fucking unsettling. Later on, it dawned on me how he figured out that room was vacant. One of the housekeepers had been using it as her personal break room. A few days later, a housekeeper came to the desk and told me they found the door deadbolted open, the TV on, and a housekeeper inside watching TV. She must have forgotten to close the door when she left for the night, and when the creep let himself into the building, he found it. I never saw him again, and to this day, I have no clue what he was doing there. I haven't worked there since last winter, and overnight shifts still give me the heebie-jeebies. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Florianizer, and we discover the truth about the ghostly figure. And join me in welcoming our newest storyteller to the show, John Patnode. I was about seven years old, my brother about 10. It was well past her bedtime when our mom woke up off the couch to put us to bed. Our dad worked construction out of town back then, so it was often just three of us at the house for weeks at a time. Up the stairs and to the immediate right was our parents' bedroom. Going left put you in the middle of a hallway. Taking another left down that hallway led to my brother's room. The opposite end was my room, which was also across the hall from our upstairs bathroom. At either end of the hallway are windowed doors we always kept locked and rarely used. The door on my end led to a balcony overlooking our front yard, and the door to my brother's end opened to our back porch. The house kind of leans into a small hill. My brother and mom both had a habit of waking up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. 
I only knew this because I was always a light sleeper and they just couldn't help flushing with the door wide open. This night, however, my brother stopped on his way to his room and came back towards the bathroom. I'm going to try to pee before I go to bed. The past few nights I've been too afraid to walk to the bathroom. I keep seeing a man wearing stripes at the end of the hallway. I don't know if my mom wrote it off as my brother telling ghost stories to try and scare me or if she was already half asleep and didn't catch it, but she didn't react at all to my brother's confession. I, on the other hand, was terrified by it. The fear of seeing a ghost like that at the end of the hallway or through the windows is the reason I started running from the stairs to my bedroom at night. Years later, when I was about 18, my mom and I were having a conversation in her car about a dog we had for a very short time when I was little. We were sharing stories about Max's tendency towards destroying my shoes and other unruly behaviors when my mom blurted out, Do you remember that time I opened the front door for the cops and Max ran inside to the kitchen and started tearing open that big bag of dog food we had? This really caught me by surprise because in all the years I lived in that house, we never once called the cops. Gun owner family in a quiet, rural, West Virginia neighborhood, etc. I asked her what she was talking about and she looked equally surprised as if she had just revealed something by accident. Oh, that's right. I never told you because you were too young at the time. One night, I woke up hearing noises outside my window, and when I looked, I saw a man staring into my bedroom. She went on to describe how turning on the lights caused him to take off running and how she grabbed my dad's pistol before calling the cops. I can't remember all the details I gave them when they showed up. Tall white male, wearing a striped shirt and jeans, short dark hair, something like that. They said it matched the description of a man they were looking for in the area. It turns out he had escaped from jail on a murder charge. Now, I know it sounds so obvious hearing those two stories back to back, but it wasn't until a few years ago, in my mid-twenties, that I pieced together that my brother had unknowingly warned us about a murderer who spent multiple nights casing our home. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. 
Com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Now back to the deliciously frightful Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Our next experience is our title story coming to us from an anonymous Reddit user. And we learn just how vulnerable children really are. Performing this experience is Mariana Bradford. I've always wanted to share this story, and I have no real way of proving my credibility. But if you've ever visited or lived in a rural part of South Asia, you can probably vouch for me in saying that it's a lot more plausible than one might assume. Also, this ended up being a lot longer than I thought, but I wanted to recount it precisely the way I remember it. I had one of those moments recently where a lot of things came together in my brain to make sense of an event that my child mind couldn't properly comprehend at the time. So my mom was born and raised in the UK, but she is of South Asian descent. And since I'm mixed, she tries really hard to make sure I'm in touch with my culture. This meant that, as a child, we made a lot of frequent visits back home. It's like every summer I can remember was spent there. And then it suddenly just stopped after this incident. My mom's family back home live in an extremely rural part of the country. There's a lot of poverty surrounding our family home, so we rarely left our relatively nice part of the village. I was never allowed to explore, and coming from the concrete jungle that is London, I was always so curious. I'm going to explain what happened on this one particular day the way I remember experiencing it, and then I'll explain what I failed to realize at the time. I was eight at the time. One of my uncles from the neighboring village would often visit with his children, and when they did, my mom would let me go with them to a small hut-like shop that sold sweets and snacks, like 15 minutes away from the family home. My cousins were 11 and 19, and both male. It was broad daylight. To get to the shop, we walked through a small DIY road, and on both sides is what I would call the jungle. It was basically just lots of trees and bushes as far as you can see. You can't really see anything beyond the trees. It's just a lot of greenery. I'm mixed with East Asia and definitely get my looks from my dad's side. So being an obvious foreigner in a rural part of back home meant that I was pretty used to strangers staring and asking me questions. I was also used to creepy men that would tell me I was beautiful because I have pale skin. My mom warned me about these men and made sure I need to stay away from them. So the road to the hut was paved with creepy people making creepy comments and my cousins basically telling them to leave me alone in less pleasant terms. There was also a group of young guys. Some of them had motorbikes and some were just chilling. One of them waved at me. He seemed friendly enough. And I had met so many people that my mom was convinced I must remember from last time. 
that I had zero recollection of, so I just waved back and went about my day. Once we got to the hut, we immediately started losing our self-control with the snacks. The owner was super friendly, and he let us try a bunch of sweet mishtis he had, and he also had kulfi ice cream for the first time. I distinctly remember being really excited because my mom and one of the ladies that worked as a cook both loved kulfi ice cream, so I thought it would be a nice surprise for them. I asked for three, and the nice guy gave me four, and so my hands were full, and they were quickly melting, and he told me to run, 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 go home quickly. I told my cousins I would get a running start, and once they finished, they could catch up to me. I would still be in their line of sight, plus it was daylight, and it was a busy road. I started running back. There were a few older aunties that stood at the top of the road, and something about their presence gave me a sense of security. I felt a lot safer knowing that they were there, and paired with the fact that my cousins were able to see me clearly, I felt comfortable enough to just walk back leisurely, minding my business, eating my ice cream. I passed the group of guys, and the one that waved at me came over to me. He said I was X's niece, right? X being my uncle. And he jokingly took one of my ice creams and said, she got an ice cream for mama. Mama means uncle in my language. And so I just assumed he was a friend of my uncle's. He asked me when I arrived and how I was finding the country. He was so friendly. He didn't look like a stereotypical creep. When I said I was going home, he said, why don't you let uncle take you? You can ride on my motorbike. I think that's when something clicked in my mind that he maybe wasn't the friendly uncle I thought he was. That's also when I realized I was pretty much circled in and was surrounded by the group. It's also when I realized I couldn't see my cousins or the group of ladies, which also meant they probably couldn't see me. I wish I could explain in words how helpless and afraid I was. I had all the threats in the world explained to me by my mom in a country where I knew I was vulnerable and had to be cautious, and I still managed to find myself in a dangerous situation. Luckily, my cousins came running and shouting, probably because I was their responsibility, and the guys ran off into the jungle. This creeped me out because there was nothing in the jungle. It was just trees as far as I could see, and I knew that it would be nearly impossible to find them in all of that. We caused quite the scene, and the villagers seemed to react as if they were already on edge. When we told my family what happened, I was basically on house arrest, and my mom refused me out of her sight. I was pretty shook up about the whole situation, and so honestly, I was kind of grateful for that. I put it down to my paranoia, but at the time, I would get overwhelming feelings of being watched. Our village is quite small. Like amongst them, it's an everyone-knows-everyone sort of thing. My uncle is also a big community figure, and he's very well known amongst the villagers, which is why the men probably put two and two together that I was his niece. Having foreign family over is usually a pretty big deal, and having a niece that is mixed race was also a very big deal. I'm sure word got around. He realized that there were a group of men on motorbikes who would frequently go past our house. They stayed a decent distance from our home though, and that they weren't anyone we would have known. It's creepy to think about now the lengths they were going to. A couple of days before we were due to fly back home, I had my second, last, and worst encounter with this particular friendly uncle. It was night, and it was like every other night we were there, playing board games or card games in the front room. 
Because it was so hot, I went to my bedroom and I was playing on my Nintendo DS. What a throwback. When I saw, out of the corner of my eye, someone at the window, staring directly at me. It was him. The worst part is that he had the most creepy, sick, and twisted smile I've ever seen. He put a finger to his lips, but I did the literal opposite and started screaming hysterically. I had been on edge since the ice cream incident, so what might seem like an overreaction was just my natural response. I can't tell you what happened next because no one has ever told me. My very large uncle and his also very large friends are not known to be the friendliest of people, but I was told he was dealt with and that he would never bother me again. We recently received a wedding film from one of my cousin's weddings, and part of the film was her leaving to get to the venue, and I noticed that the jungle was no longer there. It had basically been cut down. For the first time I could see beyond the greenery, that's when my mom explained to me that my uncle had it cut down not long after that particular visit because of the head cutters. It sounds even more sinister in my language. My entire life, I've been wondering what would have happened to me if I had gone on the motorbike. But now I know with a reasonable certainty what his intentions were. During that time, a gang had been kidnapping beggar children. It took a while for the village to realize because it's not unusual for beggar children to go missing. When we were there, people were vaguely aware that it was becoming a trend. A couple of months later, a head was found. It became known in our village, but people tried to keep it quiet to avoid getting a bad name. The problem went away once a lot of the greenery was cut down, so there was nowhere left to hide. But it's also when they realized the magnitude of what had happened. The weird thing is, I've known about the head cutters for a while. I knew it was something that had occurred in our village, but for some reason, until recently, I never put two and two together. But now that I have, I think about what nearly happened to me, but more importantly, what happened to the handful of children in our little village. I think about the fact that beyond our relatively small circle, no one thinks about them. No one is haunted by their deaths. So, to the creepy uncle with the motorbike, let's not meet again. I wish the children had never met you, and I hope no one ever has the misfortune of meeting you ever again. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, we hear from Reddit user Vertically Wide, and we learn why to trust your feelings about certain people. Bringing this experience to life is Addison Peacock. I'm a female entering my senior year in high school. I've been lurking on this sub for a few days and find myself wondering how the hell so many people have had scary run-ins with such horrible people. But then I realize that I know so, so many creeps and terrible people myself when I think about it. One in particular has been on my mind lately. I will refer to him under the alias Kyle. I grew up with Kyle. We're the same age and have gone to school with each other our entire lives. I've recently found out he has committed a disgusting crime, I will elaborate on this later, that I did not consider him capable of. 
I figured to be that fucked up, you had to really show signs, but I never saw it coming. I thought I would walk you guys through my childhood with Kyle, if you find it even half as interesting as I do, so that you too can watch a sick fuck grow up. The story that takes place long before they start raping children, because it isn't necessarily what you would think. Forgive the length of this, I tend to stretch my stories out and am sick of keeping this inside. My first notable encounter with Kyle takes place in the first grade. Me and him were friends, as much weight as that carries when you're six. Our teacher that year was a hot mess. Really, she was all over the place and it allowed far too much to slip under the radar. One day, Kyle had successfully managed to hide in the classroom while the rest of us went to lunch. His absence was not noticed until after lunch. I was the first to return to the classroom, only to find Kyle holding my beloved Littlest Pet Shop backpack, which appeared to be cut up. I approached Kyle, who was holding my now unusable bag in one hand, with a pair of scissors in the other. I addressed the elephant in the room and asked him, Did you just cut my backpack? To which he responds, No, scissors still in hand. He ended up in trouble and was forced to apologize. I never really cared afterwards, and we remained on good terms. I always looked back upon this story and laughed. Nothing more. A couple years later, we're still pals and sit next to each other. Me and Kyle seemed to get along quite well, bonding over our maladjustment and detachment from the learning environment. For me, this could be attributed to severe anxiety and ADHD, but for Kyle, it was something more concerning later to emerge. He was a bad influence, for sure, but... I was lonely and felt estranged from the girls my age, which led me to socialize with a lot of boys. I felt comfortable because of the crude nature and normalization of violence amongst these little boys, which is really questionable when I type it out loud. Makes you rethink the societal roles gender plays. It drew gory stick figure fights and crude cartoons, but it seemed so normal in the context of other boys at that age. Me and Kyle could talk about zombies and action movies and make internet jokes. I always thought he was cool and edgy. I've always struggled with math and found it hard to focus, but Kyle made it worse this particular year. He would sit there and tear pieces of paper from his math workbook and then eat them. I once again asked the question with the obvious answer. Are you eating paper? He told me to try it too, so I did. We sat there like lunatics and competed to see who could chew and swallow the largest chunk of paper. How we got away with this is beyond me. I also told this story in good humor due to how obscure it is. Stupid antics continued, recess roughhousing ensued. Now we're preteens about to enter middle school. I began to reconnect with my female friends and spent more and more time with them in conjunction with my male friends. Kyle had come out as bisexual, later pansexual, and this is when we began to drift. I was raised in a very conservative household that did not support LGBTQ rights. I never ever mistreated my friends who identified as LGBTQ, probably because I was closeted, but still did not agree with the idea. Kyle and I remained friends, but did not talk much. He was still constantly getting in trouble in school and acting immaturely as other boys began to grow out of their hyperactivity and aggression. In middle school, it surfaced that many guys were made to feel uncomfortable by Kyle's attraction to them when they did not reciprocate. I think we all ignorantly dismissed this as homophobia without the context available now. We hardly talked, let alone about our feelings, but I noticed him growing increasingly depressed and estranged from everybody else. He had become a very disagreeable person and didn't get along with a lot of people in our grade. 
He was still considered cool and funny to an extent, but I was growing up and beginning to enjoy being a teen within my own life. Other than snarky chuckles and remarks here and there, his demeanor was dull and slightly cold. In high school, I didn't even see Kyle at all. I was close with people close to him and heard about him, but we didn't communicate nor have classes together. During our freshman year, maybe even our early sophomore year, I'm not exactly sure, Kyle got into big trouble with administration. He had brought a realistic-looking, assault-style BB gun to school in his backpack. In the morning before school started, he invited a few people to his locker to see the fully loaded weapon. I have no clue what on earth he expected to happen or why he wanted to bring it to school, but people quickly caught wind of the contents of his bag, and it was confiscated, and he was suspended. Tidbits of information like that popped up in conversations, usually followed by a what-the-fuck-is-wrong-with-him. But he was nothing more than some asshole that I used to do stupid shit and get in trouble with. I really did not think of this kid at all up until a few months ago at work, when I happened to discover my new coworker was also Kyle's sister-in-law. I always knew Kyle had a large family with tons of older siblings, but I hardly interacted with any of them because they were so much older than us. I only worked with this woman for maybe a month, but I can tell you that she is an absolute sweetheart. We talked about the exciting news of her recent positive pregnancy test and the little boy she had at home. Then we reached the topic of Kyle. At the time, I was oblivious to his recent crime, as it is not publicly released information. I told her some stories, including the first two I told you guys, all while laughing. She laughed too, and then trailed off and said, Yeah, he doesn't like me much at all. I think it became the worst when he was figuring out his sexuality. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that phase. And we kind of both chuckled and moved on. She asked me if we still talked, and I told her no, but I still hear funny stories about him around school. Her smile faded. She looked as if she wanted to say something else about him, but she changed the subject. It's apparent she's uncomfortable with Kyle, and I feel bad for talking about him almost fondly, even if I had no clue what had just happened. I didn't even know that he had been placed in a mental institution, let alone notice he was gone. Once she realized I hadn't heard, I don't think she wanted to be the one to break the news to me. I never brought him up to her again. We arrive at the present. Well, almost. Last month, me and a friend were talking about this other creep in our friend group that keeps trying to sexually assault people in their sleep at parties. This dude is seriously deranged, like I fear who he will grow up to be kind of deranged. And my friend made a joke comparing this dude to Kyle, and I laughed. She elaborated more and expressed her disgust with Kyle, and I realized I was missing the full context, so I asked her why she felt that strongly. She told me that he had recently raped his younger stepsister and was taken into custody for it. This is a powerless little child we're talking about that he forcefully raped within their own home, presumably more than once. Apparently, he's become more of a danger, violent tendencies, a full-blown creep that harasses and assaults those he can take advantage of. There are other people he's harmed, and there will be more. He craves power. People like this don't just grow out of it, it worsens. I mentioned my age in my intro deliberately, because something about how young he is creeps me out even more. Knowing that he's free and still mentally unwell, able to carry on and do something worse. I was actually shocked when I heard, because I did not think he was capable of taking the innocence of a little child, his sister too. In retrospect, I can see he was different, but I didn't see any of it as concerning at the time. 
Maybe I should have been. Maybe I still should be. He finished the school year in person. He walks the same halls I do. The worst part is only a small handful of people know about the sister thing. I only know because my friend is dating one of Kyle's former best friends and she couldn't stand carrying the burden of this knowledge, so she swore me to secrecy. Kyle acts as if it never happened. It didn't carry any weight to him. He told a couple of his now ex-close friends about what he did like it means nothing. I see my peers talk to him like normal. They're completely oblivious to how truly weird Kyle is. I'm sick of holding this information inside. I needed to let it out somewhere. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed, as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.